the Word of God comes to us from Acts. Uh, we're going to be at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 27, uh, and, we'll be, and then we'll open up uh, the beginning of, of Acts 28, just a couple of verses there. We're, we're going to begin on, uh, uh, in Acts uh, 27, verse 27, and then following on. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen uh, as we together hear the Word of the Lord. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, uh, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land, and they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. And a short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. And fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboats uh, boat down into, into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that had, just, that had held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food and you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves, and altogether there were 276 of us on the boat. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left, they left them in the sea, and at that time they uh, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground, and the bow st uh, stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. Then the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. Then the rest uh, were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Once safely on the shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. And the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks, Lord God Almighty. Uh, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we do give you thanks for your word, uh, for the way that we're compelled by it to live differently, to live in contrast to this world and to uh, bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Lord, we, we pray for a bountiful harvest that would result from the work we do this morning reflecting on your word. 
Lord, as we um, continue in worship, I ask that you would meet with us now in this time of reading and learning. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word and your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very interesting whenever uh, you're asked to describe someone's personality or s- describe someone uh, in, in, a, in a social setting and, and, and you think about, oh, they're so fun, they're energetic, they're full of life, or uh, man, they have such deep compassion and, and empathy and they inspire me. Uh, they're courageous or bold or, uh, or, or, or maybe you've described someone as, uh, you know, they're the most competitive person I've ever met in my life. Uh, you know, there, there's all these ways to describe people, but I find whenever someone is asking me to describe someone or when I feel compelled to describe someone, if I draw that blank, if I enter into that empty space where I don't exactly know what to say, maybe the word that comes to mind is... They're kind. It's, it's like, for me, it, it, it tends to be like a last resort. It's, it's not the, the, the leading thing that I'm searching for. I'm not, I'm not considering are they this or they that. Because honestly, kind seems kind of like, it, it really does. Like, like kindness is just like a, 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 a thing. It's just generic. And, and, and if someone is truly kind, I typically turn to a different word that has more potency in our cultural understanding. And so I'm, I'm, I'm be honest with you, it's a little bit hard for me this morning because I come to the fifth fruit of the Spirit and we've been studying in this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we get to this, this fifth, this one in the middle, and, and you're like, love, joy, peace, patience, all things that have some power. And if any of, if any of you carry one of those four characteristics, and I'm considering uh, uh, how to describe you, I'm going to call upon that. But, but if one of you carries the, the gift of kindness, I'm probably going to try to avoid that word because for some reason in my mind, it's just kind of, eh, blah. But that's not how it's meant in Scripture, and it's not meant for us to understand it this way in the context of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, God has a harvest for us whenever we live lives of kindness. If we would, if we would not avoid this word, but kind of lean into it, pour into it, we might see transformation in us and those around us. And and I think that's the kind of intentionality God's calling us to in this space. Uh, What would it mean for us to really become kind, to claim that, and to own it? At the the forefront, I think, uh, of my thought on kindness is the the random acts of kindness movement. Were any of you like in settings where people would be talking about random acts of kindness. It seemed like something that, that we did a lot with youth groups. 
Uh, we, we would gather the youth together and we'd be on a week-long retreat and we'd call forth. Like it was, it was our manipulation. It was the way we kind of twisted them into, in, into being better human beings. Uh, we, we said, hey, every day we're going to have an opportunity for you to lift up a random acts of kindness. So be paying attention for a random acts of kindness. So all the competitive kids were like, I'm going to be really kind and someone's going to mention my name and I'm going to be glorified because I'm selfish and I'm uh, building up an idolatry. Uh, anyway, um, so, so this, is, this is what we did. We, we asked the kids, hey, do random acts of kindness. We're going to acknowledge it. And so, so people would mention the little things. You know, oh, they held my ladder whenever, uh, whenever I, I didn't ask them to, which is just good safety protocol. That's not kindness. That's called staying alive. Um, you, you know, we, 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 would be on, uh, we would be in these settings like they held the door for me. or They did something, you know, they, they, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't throw my, my clothes in the showers whenever they threw everyone else's clothes in the shower. Um, but I think that uh, the, the random acts of kindness for me uh, really drew short of what kindness is supposed to look like or what kindness can look like, you know. Kindness can be random, but I would say it, it, it doesn't have to be. It might, it might seem random because, because uh, you didn't plan the circumstance through which, you are, uh, through which you offered kindness, but whenever that opportunity arose, you took it. And, and I really don't think that there's, there's a way in, in which you can call that random because if you took it whenever whenever the opportunity arose, then there's a likeliness that you have been uh, cultivating this spirit of kindness uh, in you, that God has been working on you and, and opening your eyes to how you can live different. There's intentionality to developing kindness and living out kindness. And so when, when we invite ourselves into that space, it, it might not be random at all. It might be with great intentionality. And so I want to call that forth from you. You might even be able to plan that kindness. You might get in the car today and you might say, I am going to be a kind driver. I'm going to intentionally find ways to be kind today. Or, or you, might, you might get home from a long day and you might have had a rough day. You might, have, you might have planned for an awesome worship service that had house lights where you could see people. And you might get home and you, and you might say, I could be a total grump today. But instead, I'm going to intentionally plan to be kind to my family. Do you see the difference? And, and that's probably what we did for those youth as well. When we gathered the youth in the room and we said, we want you to, we want you to lift up this praise for the kindness that you see in others this week. We actually invited them into a space of intentionality. So random acts of kindness weren't random at all, but it was actually them entering into that space and saying, I'm going to be different while I'm here and while I'm amongst these people. So that, so, that, so that something new might come up and come out of me. And so maybe, hopefully, whenever they left that, that, that retreat or that space where they were with the youth, they, they, they then entered into their regular day-to-day -day lives and they were carrying forth patterns of behavior, ways of living that would be different. Maybe random acts of kindness aren't random at all. There was also a movie that, 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 that I think articulated for, for me and maybe for some of us what this power, what power there could be in kindness. 
the movie was Pay It Forward. Uh, it had Helen Hunt in it and uh, Kevin Spacey and some uh, awesome uh, you know, kid actor that no one ever heard from again. Um, if you did, then come tell me what he was in because he was really good as a kid, so maybe he was good as an adult too. Uh, but the movie was Pay It Forward, and you remember the concept of the movie that came out in 2000, and, and the idea, he had a social studies teacher, Kevin Spacey was a social studies teacher, and, and, and he said, hey, here's what, what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to think about a way that you could change the world. I want you as a student, as a junior high student, to not be thinking about the, the, the way you enter in defeated, but I want you to, to think about the way in which you enter in planning for something substantial to happen through you. And so this, this student decided that his concept was pay it forward. He said, I'm going to do three incredible things for other people. He actually articulated it this way. He said, I, uh, not, just, not just little things, but big things. Things that they can't do on their own. I'm going to find a way to do it. And then I'm going to invite them to do that for three other people. And then it just became, became a Ponzi scheme, right? Like three to, to nine to, and just multiply it out. I was like, he's drawing it up on the board. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard about this before. Um, but as he does it, the movie tracks through the, the, the follow-through and through the multiplication and through the movement and how, and how things just grow and multiply. But I think that there's a challenge for us as well if we associate that with kindness. Maybe the challenge is actually that, that if, we, if we draw that association, we think that kindness has to be huge. Like it has to be this, this grand thing. And so we're out there looking for, for, uh, for, for ways in which we could be kind. But, but we only want that kindness to impact someone so deeply and so profoundly that, that they would be transformed and changed by it. And sometimes, most often actually, kindness doesn't quite look like that. Kindness might be small or might be more minute. But even in those little things, it could have a rippling effect that I think follows through with the same line of thinking that Pay It Forward did. You know, if we are kind to our families, then maybe they'll be more kind in their way of living. If we're kind in the office, maybe the people in the office would, would establish a culture of kindness, and then people would actually want to work there. And for some of you, that seems hilarious to even consider. But maybe those small acts need to be part of our understanding of kindness, that, that it might be huge, it can be, and it will be through you, but it could also be small. And it might be random or seem random, but it actually can be quite intentional and transformative. And whenever we come to the scripture today and we hear, uh, we hear this story of the shipwreck, it seems like we're, we're reading Pirates of the Caribbean and, and this is like this incredible uh, saga and, and, and if it was set to movie, we would all go watch it because it's so powerful. And the description is really detailed and, and, it's, and it's, it doesn't miss a beat, but it, are, it, 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 it communicates a, a full movement of time. And there's so much more of it. I invite you to read the end of 26, all of 27, and I want you to continue on through 28. When you go home, do that so that you can see the, the whole arc of this story. But kindness is revealed and woven throughout this story in such profound ways that, that I don't even think I, I've digested 
all of them. And every time you come to the story, you're going to find a new way that kindness is revealed. There's God's kindness, there's Paul's kindness, there's the centurion's kindness, there's, there's the sailor's kindness, there's, there's also the islander's kindness. And so in all of these ways, there's this ripple effect of, of kindness kind of woven throughout. But I want you to hear how, how, how profound this story is. You see, Paul has been wanting to get to Rome his entire ministry. It's like as soon as he became a disciple of Jesus, as soon as he, 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 he was transformed in that profound way uh, for, for the evangelical work of ministry, not just to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews, uh, he wanted to get to Rome, and he had this deep desire to get to Rome. And I think that was, that was, there was something in him as a Roman citizen that, that articulated to him that if he could get the gospel of Jesus Christ to Rome, then out of Rome, the gospel could, 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 could be uh, multiplied uh, throughout all of the Roman Empire, because if it came in Rome, it would go out to, to all. And if it went to, to the Roman Empire, it would go out to the entire world. And so Paul saw this as his mission. He yearned for it deeply. And in, uh, and, and in the book uh, of Romans, we hear him, him writing a letter to the church of Rome. And he's, he just wants so much to be with them. But since he can't be with them, he, he gives this entire gospel narrative for them in the book of Romans, which is, which is for us as well. You know, since Paul can't be with us, Directly, we have Romans, this, this letter to the church that gives us such hope and such foundation for our faith. But, but whenever we, we come back to here's Paul, he's ministering, he's been on multiple journeys uh, throughout the Roman Empire, but never got to Rome, yearned for it, prayed for it, called upon God for it, and then he's in Jerusalem. And, he's in, and, and, and it seems rather random, actually, that, that he's in Jerusalem, and, and it's a nothing sort of a day, but all of a sudden the Jewish leaders start, start pressing charges against him, saying that he shouldn't be in the temple because he's not clean. And then, and then he says, well, I'll, I'll go through purification. And they let him go through purification. And then after that, uh, he says, I, I'm, I'm ready to go into the temple. And they say, you can't because we see who you're hanging out with. You're hanging out with Gentiles. It's not possible. And so they arrest him. And so Paul is arrested. He's in jail again because this is what Paul does. He gets thrown in jail. And, and he's in kind of this cush sort of a setting. He's right on, uh, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And, 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 and uh, it, it's not really jail, but it's like, uh, it, it's like, you know, whenever you hear about people that go under house arrest, but their houses are like, oh, right? And you think that's not arrest of anything. That's really awesome. That's kind of what Paul has. He has this cush setting but that's not enough for him god reveals to him that maybe this is the way that he is able to get to rome he's actually god is able to fulfill his heart's desire to arrive at rome to spread the gospel by asking for his rights as a roman citizen and so he he appeals to his rights as a roman citizen and they transfer him from this mediterranean sea uh schwank sort of a setting on boat to Rome. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts 26, 27, and 28. He's on the journey from, uh, from Israel to Rome. And along the way, he's, he's a prisoner, right? And he, he's, he is, he's in prison, and while on the way, he continues to give them advice of what they need to do. No, we shouldn't set sail for there. We should set sail for here. No, we shouldn't dock there, we should dock here. 
uh, you know what? The winter is upon us and the weather is going to be bad. We should just stay out the winter here rather than go there. And, and, and all the while, when you read the gospel, you're like, you're the prisoner. How does the prisoner tell the sailors and the captain of the ship and the guards and the centurion what they need to be doing? Like, like that's a likely way to, get, to catch a beating, right? Like you start telling the guard what they need to be doing and you're going to get beat. It doesn't show any of that in God's word. It just shows that he's trying to guide them gently and over and over again, they will not listen to him. They don't listen. They refuse. And, and, and then you get to this part right, right before what we read. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's at the end of, of this storm section and it comes to us uh, from... Uh, from verse 22 on, I want you to hear from this. It says, uh, Paul's now talking to the whole ship. He gathers them together. And he says, now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. So he's articulating a vision, a vision of God. An angel came and stood beside him the previous night in the midst of the storm, right? In the midst of the storm. And here's what the angel said to me, Paul tells them. Uh, Do not be afraid, Paul, the angel said. You must stand before Caesar. You got to get to Rome. I, the, the Lord, your God, want you to arrive at Rome. And you, you claiming to stand before Caesar is how you get there. The, the plan is going to be fulfilled in this way. And so you must stand before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Hold on, what, what, what? No, no. God gave Paul guards, centurions, ship captains, and sailors. Right? That's a little bit of a different way to view it, right? How, how is that God's gift to him? But, but, but God articulates it that way, that they're one, they're unified, they're bound together, and that Paul's heart should be for them as his heart is for God and as God's heart is for them. And so if they all are bound up together, uh, th- this is a different way of seeing unity and a different way of seeing prison altogether. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will, it will happen just as he told me. This is what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to be saved. Not one of you are going to die. Later on it says there's 276 of them. So a ship crashes at sea and we're supposed to expect all 276 of them to be saved? Well, that's what the angel told Paul. That's what Paul told the people. And so that's where they stand. And so they've been in this storm for 14 days. 14 days of intense storm where they are totally uh totally dependent upon what the what what the wind and what the rain and what the storm and what the sea tells them to do they are no longer capable of telling the boat where to go because they're just trying to keep the boat from from sinking they have thrown things overboard they have thrown uh they 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 have thrown uh their tackle overboard one thing after another they're making the ship lighter and lighter and lighter and still we find 14 days in They're barely afloat and they're weary. So Paul gathers them together and he looks upon these folks that are a gift to Paul from God and he says, you're hungry, you're tired. 
you're weak, you're empty. Let's eat. In the middle of the storm, let's eat. All together, let's eat. He takes bread, he breaks it. And you could just see the echoes of communion, the echoes of God's redemptive work of grace that takes place when we gather around the holy table manifest there in that space. And he takes the bread, he gives thanks, and he gives it to, uh, to, the, to the sailors. And he says, be strengthened. And morning comes, and one of the sailors says, we can't let our prisoners we can't let our prisoners escape. If, we go into, if they go into the sea, then they're going to escape. So we need to kill them right here. And the centurion just looks upon Paul and says, no, we can't have that happen. And so all the prisoners, it seems, by God's word are saved. And then from that space, uh, I, I think it's so fascinating. The, they take the soundings, 120 to 90, and then they know that they're going to crash, and they see the sandbar, and the, the sand, and the boat runs up on the sandbar, and they see the island, and they know that that's where they're going to go. So if you're a sailor and you can swim, you're instructed to get out and swim. That means that there are also people on that boat that cannot swim. Crazy. And so they're instructed the ones that cannot swim are instructed to jump in the water, find a piece of wood, and allow the wood to drift them up onto the shore. And all 276 of them survive. And they land on this random island, this island called Malta. And when they get there, the islanders find them, 276 of them, cold, wet, weary. And they light a fire for them. And the word of God articulates that fire and that greeting of hospitality as kindness manifests for them. So all of this story, this, this journey, it's one layer of kindness after another, after another, and after another. And finally we arrive at the end and it's the islander's kindness. So, so that would be the first the islanders show kindness by welcoming the stranger without any knowledge, without knowing them, offering them warmth and hospitality and welcome and creating space for them. Later on, they actually even give them a boat, <laughs> right? And then there's the, the, the kindness of the centurion that saves Paul's life, that, that creates space for Paul to have a voice even in the midst of, a, of, of, of being in prison. There's Paul's kindness. There's Paul's kindness that he prayed for, the, for everyone on, on the boat. There's Paul's kindness that he, that he would uh, offer them bread and offer that wisdom and guidance in that time. There's Paul's kindness that he didn't try to escape because if he would have escaped, then it would have uh, turned out horribly for all of those guards. But ultimately, I want you to hear there's God's kindness all throughout this story. God's kindness in sparing their lives. God's kindness to Paul in answering his prayer that leads him to Rome, even, even after Paul had been praying this prayer for years. Have you been praying a prayer for years? Keep praying. We have re record in the word that that God's kindness can lead us there even over the course of many, many years. And then finally, I want you to hear this. God's kindness in this story 
is about the kindness of grace and mercy that he had for you and for me. You see, God wanted the glory of his son and the grace that we have in his son to be made known throughout the world. He didn't want for, for just, uh, just a small group of people in Israel to receive God's grace in Jesus Christ. He didn't want just a small group of, of folks in the Roman Empire uh, to receive God's grace in those rural settings of Iconium and Lystra and Derby. No, God wanted th- this gift of grace to go to Rome. And so part of this kind of meta-narrative of Scripture is that God's kindness, His loving kindness and mercy moved all the way from Israel through Rome and to us today. So whenever you read the story, put yourself in it and know that God was showing his kindness even to you in Acts 27 and 28. So what is your response? Because that's what kindness is. Kindness is a response to God's kindness for you. How does your life reflect the kindness that we have in God. You've received that kindness. How are you now pouring it out to others you come in contact with? I know for many of you this week was an incredibly challenging week as the rains came down and the emotional stirrings of an echo from two years ago rose up within you yet again. And you began to consider Uh, All of the pain that you had experienced, uh, either firsthand uh, from the impact that Harvey had on you, or secondhand as, as it was the way in which you encountered your neighbors in the midst of that season. And so all that welled back up in you. And then we looked on the devastation of our neighbors to the east from... Splendora all the way through the Golden Triangle, some who, who had just experienced devastation two years ago who might not have even recovered yet, now going through that same thing yet again, and you were moved in your spirit. Let that movement turn into some form of kindness. I want you to know here at Covenant, we... we We thought about sending out teams on Saturday, but knowing that there was still rain in the forecast on Saturday, it it might not have been an effective or or a prudent time to to go out. But I also want you to know that that we're working with an organization called Operation Hope. There's uh, multiple United Methodist leaders that are on the board, but they're finding ways to offer uh, kindness and to offer hope in the midst of disaster. And we'll be working with them so that we would find opportunities uh, to, to act and to move as a church and to enter into those spaces of pain and need. I want you to know that we're, we're looking forward to finding those ways that we could do those things as a church. But it doesn't have to only be that for you to exercise kindness. It begins in you. And then it comes forward in intentionality as you enter into those spaces of grace. Offering kindness to the world. How is God going to use you? I can't wait to hear how.